Hello and welcome to Playback Daily for Wednesday the 10th of January. I'm Louise Herity and here's some of what's coming up. You know, I know she had all my family around her, but as she grew up, she suffers from anxiety as well. So, but she's become this wonderful person who takes care of me and she's become the mammy. I suspected myself. I really did feel that if somebody came to the office um, and I could show them the paperwork that I had uh, and explain the situation, that we would be able to find a remedy and find out why this was occurring. So I'm going to be studying psychology most likely if I get the points, but being a young scientist since doing it last year really inspired me to go into a science career because at first I was thinking about doing law, but being a young scientist really changed everything for me, so now I want to do psychology. <laughs> The 60th BT Young Scientist and Technology Exhibition opened at the RDS in Dublin today and reporter Ethna Dodd spoke to some of the young scientists ahead of the big day for Morning Ireland. Yes, thank you, Audrey. Yeah, I was uh, yesterday at the RDS to talk to some uh, young students as they were putting up their projects, getting them set up for today. Um, I started by asking twins, Amy and Ashley Kyo from Tala Community School um, to tell me about their project, which was about study habits. Our project is identifying factors that impact the intention action gap in student study habits and then proposing two viable solutions to the issue. What are the two viable solutions? One is an educational intervention on smart study techniques, which are specific, measurable, achievable, realistic and time-bound goals. And the other one is the implementation of accountability system, where we teach students how to be intrinsically motivated and to be accountable on their own. If when you don't study, so it's when you say you do and you're not actually going to, that's the gap that we're investigating. 90% of our students are extrinsically motivated meaning you're motivated by something else and not by yourself which is actually affecting how you study. So I'm going to be studying psychology most likely if I get the points but being a young scientist since doing it last year really inspired me to go into a science career because at first I was thinking about doing law but being a young scientist really changed everything for me so now I want to do psychology. I'm Sinead Nibriel, I'm in fourth year in Our Ladies Grove Secondary School in Gutshine. It studies how caffeine affects the rate of reaction in enzymes, specifically polyphenol oxidase enzymes which are found in apples and in our body in terms of producing pigments which colour our hair, eyes and skin. I found that the caffeine can help speed up these reactions by adding it to apples and seeing if it increases the oxygenation of them. If caffeine can help the production of melanin by increasing the reaction in the polyphenol oxidase enzymes, this can be used to um, distribute pigments across skin care. It can be used to try to prevent hair graying by increasing a production of melanin in the body and in enzymes in the body. So it could be used in like healthcare and beauty kind of things like that. My name is Jack O'Connell. I'm in Blackheart College and I'm in TY and we did our project on the physics of table tennis and how to improve your hand-eye coordination and reaction speed. I'm here with Alex Brown, he's my partner. We studied the physics of table tennis and we found the speeds of the ball and spin and how it affects the ball's trajectory. Table tennis is very good for your mental and physical well-being. It's a better sport to improve your hand-eye coordination reaction speed so we advise it for anyone that's elderly or has mental illnesses or anything like that. That was Jack and Alex there from Blackrock Community, uh, sorry, Blackrock College talking to me there about their project on table tennis. They actually told me as well that uh, Parkinson's was uh, a great, uh, if, you, if, you have, sorry, if you have Parkinson's, table tennis is a great thing to improve your, your motor skills because um, it's, it, it's not, uh, if, if it, you miss the ball it doesn't hurt. <laughs> um, and I'm here today now with uh, uh, Dr. Tony Scott, the co-founder of the BT uh, Young Scientist Exhibition 60 years ago and he's still here, still part of it. And uh, Marie Callahan, the organiser. So Tony, you've been here for 60 years. Um, what's changed in that time? Uh, well, the students haven't changed. Their, their enthusiasm is just as great as ever. And uh, I, one thing I think has changed is the method of presentation 
has improved enormously from basically sticking notices on the board to the latest presentation. And the second thing I think has changed is that the amount of background information available to students has changed. In the early days, 60 years ago, they had the local library if they had one. And now, of course, they have the world's library at their fingertips. And that has enabled them to, uh, to investigate their, their project before they come here. And have you noticed any differences in what students choose to study? Well, of course, a lot of it depends on what's happening in the world today, you know, whether it's COVID or flooding or whether it's climate change or health issues. They all seem to pick up this and see, can they find out any more about it? Yeah, and there's 550 projects we're expecting uh, from 219 schools, up to 50,000 people between uh, now and Saturday will come through the RDS to see these projects. It's a huge organ uh, organisation, so I'll ask the organiser about that. Hi there. Uh, how are, uh, so uh, what, what are you organising this year and what are you kind of expecting the mood to be once once we get Michael G to arrive here at 2pm today? Yeah, so we're delighted that Pre President Michael D. Higgins is here to uh, launch the 60th uh, BT Young Scientists and Technology exhibition. It's incredible that the exhibition, which is now a national institution, has reached that milestone and we hope it'll be here for many decades to come. Yeah, and 60 years now of BT Young Scientists and your, your legacy kind of speaks for itself. We have uh, uh, 50,000 young people have taken part in that time. More than 100,000 project ideas have been put forward. And in the last 35 years, 17 of the overall winners in this competition have gone on to win first place in the European Contest for Young Scientists. That's quite a legacy, Tony. It is quite a legacy. And for it's, I think as a country, we should be proud of what these young people have done. They've achieved an awful lot and they've, they've lifted the, the people to realise that we are living in the 21st century and that the technology world is around us and they're being part of it and future, future for them is good. And over the next uh, few days, I know it's sold out in the mornings, uh, tomorrow morning, but uh, what, how many people are you expecting to come and what are you, what are you hoping they'll kind of get out of uh, a visit here? Yeah, so we are ho we'll probably see around 50,000 people. So just Thursday morning is sold out. And new initiative this year is for Thursday, Friday and Saturday, if anybody wants to visit after two o'clock, you pay two euro at the door because we'd like as many people as possible to come in and see the incredible projects from our young people. But around the projects we also have a festival of science so we've loads of special acts and we have 57 partner stands as well and that's people across the industry academia um, just getting here to talk about STEM in a way through their companies. Great to Tony Scott and Mary Callahan thank you so much for joining us today on Morning Ireland. That was Ethna Dodd reporting on Morning Ireland. The recent ITV drama Mr Bates versus the Post Office highlighted the problems with the UK Post Office's Horizon IT system that led to sub-postmasters being wrongfully prosecuted by the state. Claire Byrne was discussing the topic today and she spoke to London correspondent with the Irish Times, Mark Paul. Thanks for joining us. Before we chat though, I have another clip that I'd like us to hear. One of the postmasters involved is Lee Castleton and Lee had a young family when he was pursued and made bankrupt by the post office. He featured in the ITV drama which has sparked this renewed interest and controversy over the last two weeks and Lee was speaking to BBC Radio 4's Michelle Hussein this morning and he outlined how the situation escalated and the impact that it had on him and on his young family. 
I didn't suspect the computer at all at first. I, spe- I suspected myself. I really did feel that if somebody came to the office um, and I could show them the paperwork that I had uh, and explain the situation, that we would be able to find a remedy and find out why this was occurring. But post office were absolutely hell-bent in really not helping me. And I realise that now more than ever. But obviously at the time I felt kind of as if I wasn't explaining it properly and and that people didn't really understand the severity of where I actually was finding myself. I really had nothing whatsoever to hide. And so I'd asked for an audit, which happened on the uh, the 23rd of March 2004. And it found? A £25,500 deficit. Uh, and we just set on this course for them to recover what they say they'd lost. And um, that journey ended in the High Court in London. Mm. So having lost in High Court, they applied for costs. And so it was the 25,000 original um, deficit mm. plus three, £321,000 worth of costs. And what did that do to you? It just turned our life upside down, you know. Um, you were bankrupted? Yeah, I applied for bankruptcy, yeah. Did you lose uh, your house? Well, we lived above the shop and we, we kind of got stuck in this cycle of um, not being able to move because without the business, we lost the business uh, and everything. And um, I was left with a property that I couldn't sell, which had no equity in it. And um, we could just, just afford, with family help, to pay the interest-only mortgage. So we were stuck in a circle for many, many years mm. where we couldn't move. And that's Lee Castleton. As I said, Mark Paul is with us now from the Irish Times in London. Mark, it's it's an extraordinary story, this, because many people will have heard about this over the last number of years. But it seems every time we hear from one of the victims, again, Lee Castleton there, whose story was in the ITV drama, it's scarcely believable. It is, yeah. I mean, this has been bubbling away uh, in you know, for about 15 years in the background, um, this this notion that sub-postmasters uh, uh, were using this IT system that was that was incorrectly coming up with shortfalls and they were being blamed for it. But it all really came to a head um, over the Christmas recess um, when, when ITV screened a drama series um, called Mr. Bates, Mr. Bates versus the Post Office, which dramatised the whole thing. And I think that really captured the British public's imagination over um, over the, the, the New Year's break. Um, and so when we come back this Monday um, um, after parliamentary recess, I mean, you know, it, it will be difficult to overestimate the extent to which this issue is now dominating British politics. And that's why, as you said um, quite correctly in your, in your introduction there, it looks like Rishi Sunak is going to address it in Prime Minister's questions today because there's a lot the British government can do to make this problem go away. And for its own reasons, because it's an election year, it has to make this problem go mm. away. So there's talk about these emergency laws being used to collectively quash the convictions of all sub-postmasters, but there are those who have concerns about doing that. There are. I mean, people um, and, and, you know, uh, the, the government has, has already indicated that this is what it's minded to do. The Justice Secretary, um, Alex Chalk, basically said it in the House of Commons on Monday night. And um, this morning, Kevin Hollandrake, the Postal Services Minister, seemed to confirm it. Um, but other people who are, who are, you know, I mean, quite august in the British legal profession, like Dominic Grieve, the former Attorney General, he says that perhaps it's a little bit too much interference in the judicial process. But I think, you know, for, you know, whether, whether for for legal reasons or moral reasons, the British government might want to do this. I think certainly for political reasons, they will have to do it. For, for you know, As I mentioned, it's an election year. And the other factor I think that will be driving the British government's thinking on this is that the whole Rwanda immigration situation is going to blow up again in the next couple of weeks. 
And, and a government, I suppose, like any military power, it can't fight a major war on two fronts. And, and they need to dispense with this issue because it, it really runs to the core. Like the post office is part of the fabric of the British nation. And, and you know, British people see themselves as having this notion of fair play. And, and this story just, you know, which has now been routinely described as the biggest miscarriage of justice, justice in British legal history, it really cuts to the core of, of the British psyche. Mm-hmm. And so I think... Rishi Sunak um, um, really is probably is, is going to have to do something today at PMTs at noon. I'll, I'll, I'll be there to hear it. And perhaps the government feels that it can deal with this. You know, the fact that these hundreds of people were hounded by an arm of the state and lives were left so broken. But there is a sense in some quarters that with the stroke of a pen, that this might be remedied at least in some way. Yes, I mean, I mean, the, the two things that a British government can do, obviously, it can um, it, it can get rid of all of these convictions, um, and and it can also give um, these people more money and compensation. The, 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 there's there's a separate inquiry which is ongoing. It was established in 2021 during the pandemic, so it kind of slipped beneath the radar, um, and and that's due to, to that that's due to take off again now in the next uh, week or so, and it's due to report. I think a finish later on this year. Um, but but those two things um, to, to 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 give more compensation. They've given about 150 million pounds in compensation already. The British government. Now that's really just a drop in the ocean when you consider how many people are involved. There's at least 736 sub postmasters who who face convictions. Only 93 of those have had their convictions overturned. Mm. And another thing that the British government could do and has been pushed to do is to actually strip the post office of its right to take private prosecutions. Because well, that's, ex- private- that's extraordinary that they have that power. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, look, it, 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 sometimes for big state-owned organisations, um, um, they can have this power where they can take a prosecution themselves. They don't need to go through the DPP. But I mean, if 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 at the post office's behaviour or alleged behaviour over, over, over the last number of years when it was taking prosecutions at a time when people had already raised concerns about this IT system. I mean, there's a real push on now to strip the post office of this power. Mark, there's another part of this which isn't as easily fixed. So you have the compensation element, the quashing of the convictions, but there are also uh, calls for the people who were involved at the top of the post office to face criminal prosecution. And top of that list would be the former CEO, Paula Venels. Paula Vennels, um, she, she became the CEO in 2012 and she uh, stayed in that position until 2019. So she was there really for the, the, the when this the boiling point when the post office was still pursuing prosecutions at a time when there was complaints about it. Um, she actually got a CBE, a, 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 an honour, a royal honour in 2019 when she left the job. And that was the same year that the British High Court actually accepted that the Horizon system was was a complete load of chunk. Um, so um, she, had, Paula Venels has, under pressure, under public pressure, and also under pressure from Rishi Sunak, indirect pressure from Rishi Sunak, she has handed back her CBE this week. Um, and she is, look, I suppose every scandal needs a head on a place to a certain extent and, and at the moment it's Paula Venels. I mean she's a, she's an ordained Anglican priest and the church came out this week in England and said look you know like a little bit less of the trial by media um, 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 you know she's not the only person involved here so look it, it brings in all of the political parties I think this this issue is the one issue that does manage to unite every single political party in Britain and in Scotland um, this week and, and that doesn't happen very often indeed let me tell you London correspondent with the Irish Times Mark Paul on Today with Claire Byrne
And later, British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak addressed the issue in the House of Commons and the introduction of a new law. Brian Dobson had more on the News at One. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has said a new law will be introduced to overturn the wrongful convictions of hundreds of post office managers. Between 1999 and 2015, more than 700 self-employed sub-postmasters at branches of the state-owned post office, including 19 in Northern Ireland, were convicted of theft, fraud, fraud and false accounting because faulty software wrongly showed thousands of pounds missing from branch accounts. The Prime Minister made the announcement in the House of Commons a short time ago. Mr Speaker, this is one of the greatest miscarriages of justice in our nation's history. People who worked hard to serve their communities had their lives and their reputations destroyed through absolutely no fault of their own. The victims must get justice and compensation. So when William's inquiry is undertaking crucial work to, under, to expose what went wrong, and we've paid almost £150 million in compensation to over 2,500 victims. Uh, but today I can announce that we will introduce new primary legislation to make sure that those convicted as a result of the Horizon scandal are swiftly exonerated and compensated. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Well, let's talk to Belfast-based solicitor Michael Madden, who represents several of the impacted post office uh, postmasters in Northern Ireland. Michael, thanks for, for taking our call this, this lunchtime. And this is a scandal that has been well known and well aired for several years now, but it's, it was a television series, an ITV drama series over Christmas that has catapulted it into the, into the, back into public consciousness. That's right. Uh, it's great that this... Uh, drama has come out and has now got people's attention and hopefully the the attention that that's got that's built is going to put pressure now on the government uh, and post office to really get things moving for people uh, up to now they're having different schemes for compensation people have had appeals and uh, but there have been complaints about things moving too slowly um, still resistance from post office um, and people still find it uh, very difficult really down, down to the trauma that they, they've experienced up to now mm. to come forward and uh, try and get their convictions overturned and, and to apply for compensation. So it's great that the drama did come out and has now built this this interest. Yeah, and what the drama has done, I suppose, is has illustrated very vividly the, the terrible human cost of, of this scandal. Uh, people who lost their businesses, lost homes, uh, relationships broke up. Um, people had serious illness as a result of all that. And I suppose that that's what's uh, powered the, 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 the political impact that this is having. Yeah, the, the, the devastation of this this created in people's lives um, and, and there were there were unfortunately suicides as well. Uh, it affected hundreds and hundreds of people. Uh, and uh, the difficulty really is that people have found it so hard um, to come forward and uh, the, the drama really has now um, helped do that, and it, it, it's great that it, that it has now happened. So, the people you represent in in Northern Ireland who were caught up in this, uh, Michael, what 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 are they looking for? What might they expect now? The first thing that people want is to have anybody with convictions to have them overturned. So uh, that's what all these people want, and they they want it for their. Uh, for other people going through the same thing. The next thing that people want is compensation for the, the devastation that did happen to people's lives. People's lives were, were destroyed. Uh, those li- those years that were taken up uh, won't be won't be, uh, be able to be given back to them, but certainly um, compensation uh, for what they're entitled to is what they're looking for. Um, and then the third thing is really for anybody 
who still hasn't been able to come forward to, to do that. Uh, for example, in, in Northern Ireland, uh, the figures being quoted are there 19 people who uh, were prosecuted, uh, sorry, uh, 23 prosecuted, 19 were convicted. And as far as I'm aware, only three people have made it to the Court of Appeal in Northern Ireland. So there are lots of people out there who potentially could still come forward to get their, their names cleared and, and uh, get their convictions overturned. There's been talk or calls for criminal uh, prosecution of, of those in charge of the post office during all of this. Do you, do you think there's a case for that? There certainly is. Uh, that, that, again, is something that people uh, would like to see. Uh, it's very clear that somebody senior in post office must have known what was happening from a very early stage. Uh, there were hundreds of people, and uh, the, the pattern was that every time somebody was being investigated, that they were told that they were the only people. When it's, it's now become clear that that was very clearly not the case. There were hundreds of people uh, who were experiencing problems with, with Horizon. Uh, people had been raising issues from the moment that Horizon was installed in, in people's post offices. And it, 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 mm. it, there's no doubt that the senior people would have been aware of this. And to allow people to be prosecuted, to allow people to be to, to get convictions, um, knowing fine rightly mm-hmm. that uh, they had information that, that would have prevented that happening it can only be a criminal matter. Yes, I mean there's talk of the, the British government pursuing Horizon, it's a Japanese, o- Japanese owned company for, um, for for compensation in relation to this but it's it's really how the post office handled the, the, this fault that um, that's in focus isn't it? Uh, exactly, exactly now there, there's fault to be shared between Horizon and uh, sorry, for Fujitsu and Post Office, but the the issues that were raised with Horizon were well known uh, and well raised at an early stage. And as you say, it's how Post Office reacted to that and dealt with that is possibly the the criminal element of the the whole scandal. And having having spoken to those and worked with those who were caught up in this, do you understand how or why the Post Office came to take the attitude and approach it did? Well, we don't know the, the full answer to that yet. People have obviously their, their opinions and the hope is then that the inquiry that's ongoing uh, will will get to the bottom of that. Uh, the, the suspicions really is uh, amongst most people who have been caught up in this is that they were allowed to be caught up on it. They were allowed to have their lives devastated to protect post office's reputation, uh, to protect the investment of millions and millions of pounds in a computer system that was faulting, that didn't work. And a, a decision was taken at a high level to allow people to be prosecuted through the criminal courts rather than allowing this, this faulty system uh, be, be exposed. Belfast-based solicitor Michael Madden on the News at One today. Yesterday on the 9 o'clock show, Shay Burns spoke to David McIntyre who invented the Cubby, a self-contained sensory booth designed to fit into schools, hospitals and other childcare-related environments. And today, Kate Healy, librarian from Mayo Library Services in Belmullet, was on to tell Shay about their Cubby. I do have a Cubby. Um, our Cubby was installed last May, so it's been very successful. Um, David and Diane are real Mayo success story so uh, the Mayo Library Service was delighted to support them in their endeavours 
and uh, the Cubby in Balmullet has been really, really popular. It's a fantastic um, addition to the library services. There's Cubbies in Balmullet Library, Swinford Library and Castlebar Library. They're all supporting our um, inclusive library service. The feedback from the users is just amazing. It's really, you know, it's lovely to see firsthand the, the positive impact it has on, on the people who use it. It's a great resource to have. So where, whereabouts did you put it within the building? Well, suppose the building is a shared space, so the library is quite small. So it's a civic building with an art centre, Mayor County Council's public offices, uh, Ross McGill, the, the court services, and there's some business hubs as well. So it's quite a large building. So we have it in the main hallway. If there's something on in the art centre in the evening in Norris in Esclora, there could be, you know, a theatre or a movie or something on in the evening that, you know, it's not limited to the library hours that people can access the cubby, you know, at any time that the building is open. So it's um, it's a great community resource, not just within the library, it's for it is a community resource. Yeah. For a, how long have you had it now? Um, since May uh, this year, so our first quarter... Um, we had over 500 users, oh. which was amazing. Yeah, I know a lot of that was initial, everyone wanting to try it out, but the return has been amazing. Like there's a lot of people coming back during the busy tourist season. We had lots of visitors using it. So it's a fantastic resource for families that were on holidays. If they had children with um, neurodiverse and sensory issues, that they could just take a few minutes out and, you know, relax and continue with their holiday. So as David mentioned, he sort of gave examples of the school environment, whereas I suppose this would be in a more of a community and social uh, environment where where people that come into the library or the, the civic building are using the cubby. So I suppose areas where I've seen it beneficial is, say, if families have, you know, large families have people doing dancing lessons in the evening and music lessons, and, you know, they have have a child with neurodiversity, it means that there is an activity for that child in the family, you know. So it's got very positive to feedback from families, definitely. Now, Kate, I want you to be honest here. Did you give it a little try yourself? I have, on many occasions. And that's the benefit, the beauty of it. Like, if you're having a bad day, if you have time to take even five minutes with... There's a 5, 10 and a 15 minute program on it. If you can take the five minute program, um, it's lovely. It's just so relaxing. So there's, when you go in to the room itself, it's, you know, even though it's just a a, a glass door, when you go in, it's like you're in a different world straight away because it's so quiet. And that's without the music or the the programs. Then you select your program. So you can have a calming program or an energized program. And they're just the generic programs. I suppose where people see the real benefits is when they go for the um, OT design program, the unique program for the individual. So there's where you see the massive benefits. But just from a relaxation or, you know, taking a few minutes out, you can just do the generic program. So when you talk about the OT-driven uh, experience, it's uh, David was talking about people having their own codes. So because it's cloud-based, yeah. they come in with their own PIN number as such, put it in, yeah. mm-hmm. and then the program goes back to what they're used to. Yeah. And so when they're okay with using the cubby, they don't need to come to talk to me or anything. Generally, what, the first one or two times until they get comfortable with it, they'll just... Uh, they might come in and ask, but once they're once they're happy with using it, they just go off and do their own thing. And I suppose that what's great is, like you mentioned, the Aviva or Ch- Temple Street. Like if 
a child has their unique code that they use and they're very familiar with in Balmullet Library, if they're going to a concert or going to a match or unfortunately, um, probably more likely, going to Temple Street to have some sort of treatment, that they can you know, have that few minutes of normality or of what they're familiar with before before they go to, to see a doctor or, you know, have to deal with something that's not too, not too pleasant. And this, this cubby was funded how? Um, well, because, as, as David mentioned, he was a, a male startup, he got some of his initial kind of very early startup money from um, the local enterprise, Mayo Local Enterprise, because he was a Mayo company and it was a, a new initiative. So he was on the, the Mayo uh, radar, if you know what I mean. So because it was a sensory device then, from the, from a library perspective, um, the cubby kind of, it just seemed a natural fit. Like throughout our daily work, we see so many children coming in with varying um Varying needs, and you know, just uh, you know, straight away we realised that this would be a great project for Mayo Library. So, as I mentioned, there's one in Swinford, Castlebar, and Belmullet, and they're all you know used on a daily basis. I, I've been lucky enough to be in that that space. I was there with uh, Ken Doherty and Steve Davis a number of years ago for a snooker exhibition, and we had a we had a fabulous night in Belmullet. I have to tell you, and we had great fun. But I was really impressed with the space, with the number of services available to people, and I, I'm told you loan out different things to. People people within the library service and within the civic space. Yeah, really lucky to work in, in such a great great building. Um, the Art Centre there is a really busy community hub, Mayor County Council offices, and it was Ross and and we all work well together on various projects throughout the year. So um, as I mentioned there, with families attending music lessons, the library also um, loans out uh, instruments that's been going on for about 10 years now through Music Generation Mail. So um, families, there's over 200 instruments in the, in the, the bank for Eris, in the, in the instrument bank for Eris, and they're utilised and then children can um, avail of the instruments and attend the, the music lessons in the art centre. Um, I suppose another project that we've got going at the moment, it's a new thing under the Healthy Ireland, it's a collaboration with Cree Ireland where we loan out blood pressure monitors. It's a new initiative that just started there um, uh, late last year. So obviously we don't give out any medical advice, but because blood pressure monitors are quite expensive, it just eliminates the expense. And if people need to loan one out, um, there's a little pack from Cree with some information and some contact numbers and a nurse line, a helpline. And... Um, basically gives people the opportunity to access their blood pressure monitors oh. for free. That's know your number, mm-hmm. know your number, know your numbers and your blood pressure numbers. That's really important. Yeah. Can you tell me something else you loan out is an activator pole? What's an activator pole? <laughs> um, act, again, uh, through Healthy Ireland and Mayo Sports Partnership, uh, another collaboration. So uh, Mayo Sports Partnership run... Um, uh, like an exercise or fitness class with activator poles. I'm not an expert on them now. Um, so they have a six-week class and sort of for the active retirement or people that might have mobility issues or not be comfortable, too comfortable with exercise. So it's sort of, you know, just to um, help with their balance and their stability. So they're quite, I think they're, I'm not sure of the exact cost, but they're expensive. So after it's, an, it's an actual course. pole, an actual physical pole. Yeah, it's, it's like two walking 
I'm going to say like walking sticks, but they're very sporty sort of walking sticks. I'm not describing them properly, but um, so after they've done their six-week course, then if they if they enjoyed it, they uh, can come into the library and loan um, activator poles. It's just to encourage fitness and activity within the community. Yeah. And and one more thing, uh, C pens, which are really expensive for children with dyslexia. You loan those out as well. We do, yeah. Again, they are expensive, so it gives families the opportunity to try them out, see if the child is going to be comfortable and proficient with them, and if it's going to help them with their schoolwork. And they get an opportunity to loan them out and give it a go. Like C pens can are approved for exams, so when you get to second level, um, if you you know um, need um, assistance with um, dyslexia, it's a great option to have this. So again, it's just trying out. It doesn't work for every child with dyslexia. So again, it's just a matter of being able to ha- have a go and see if, see if it's for the the child, and then um, know if it's worth investing. So um, yeah, that's another just an- another thing that the library service are off- offering, which is you know trying to adapt to the needs of the community and. Um, yeah, and for people who are not familiar <laughs> familiar with C pens, it's a physical device that's linked to software that, uh, as the child uses it and try and writes with it, it corrects and helps and encourages. Exactly. Yeah, you, you're very okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and very simple to use. Again, just um, technology moving on. We're we're um, helping and assisting children, you know, so that the exam process isn't so daunting if if they do have um, dyslexia. Brilliant. And, and by the way, I'm, I'm told, according to David, and I was talking to him off air, he said when for Christmas and Halloween, they have a theme in the cubby as well. So Yeah, yeah that, he, as he mentioned that, you know, it has to be um, interactive and it has to change. So there was fabulous spooky ones for Halloween and then the Christmas ones were just were just beautiful. Kate Healy from Mayo Library Services on the nine o'clock show today. Fresh from a panto run, singer, presenter and X Factor finalist Mary Byrne dropped into today with Claire Byrne to chat about her new one woman show called Check Me Out. And how are you? I'm grand. Mentally, I'm I'm still fighting my battles like everybody else who suffers with mental health. But I'm positive and I've got a lot of positive people around me at the moment and I'm fighting every day. I don't mean fighting. I'm not, I'm not there going, oh my God, I've got to fight this. But I wake up in the morning and I tell myself how lucky I am. And this is what I've been told to do. And it's sometimes that's hard mm-hmm. to believe how lucky you were, even though you know you were. But when you're attacked by demons in your head, you have to keep pushing them away all the time. So for me, it's each morning waking up, taking one day at a time, take my medication, talk whenever I feel like talking about it, ring a friend, ring the counsellor, ring the doctor, whoever. And that's what I've learned to do. And I'm not afraid now to turn around and say, I need help. And is it better for you to be busy? Yes, a lot better. I mean, during COVID was the hardest time for me, mentally. Um, no work, no nothing. I mean, I know we were looked after with the, you know, the pup money and all that, but it just, it wasn't even the money. It was the fact that we were isolated. And I can imagine how it was for people who have nobody and nothing. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was hard. But for others, it was even worse. But once that kind of went over, now we're still struggling. This industry is still struggling to get back. It's not back to where no, it was. No, it's not back to where it was. But I've got work coming in and people are ringing up and asking me to do this gig and do that gig. And then when Panto came along and of course Menopause the Musical, which was, I was so afraid of it. I had no new knee done. I had two bad knees. But by God, did I enjoy every moment of that. 
just that physical reaction from the audience and the people I was with. Just it set your mind in a different way of yeah. thinking. So then Panto came along. So I, I had that. Had a little holiday in the middle. And now I'm looking forward to the next Yeah, this stage. is a great idea. I mean, this is something that I would say has been said to you to do for a long time, to tell your story on the stage. The funny thing is, Claire, when I came out of the X Factor Force, um, I was approached by Donal, who is uh, the manager in Civic Centre. And another guy, I can't remember his name, but he was, he was a writer of and a brother of a very famous writer. And X Factor, the management wouldn't allow me to do it. Because they said I was so popular at the time that they'd need a lot of um, bodyguards around, which was a load of crap. <laughs> I mean, we all know they had their own agenda. They wanted me in England. They wanted you doing stuff for yeah. them. Yeah. So anyway, enough. that's when I was first approached to do this little, just sit on an armchair and tell my story. This is better because I'm now in a different place. I'm also older. There's a little bit more to add to the story. And... I suppose I've always been honest, but I can even be more honest when I'm on stage mm-hmm. and I can speak my heart to the people. So is there a script for this now or is it you just sitting down and having a chat with it the audience? It is a script. Rob Murphy has written this. He's, he's taken my story and he's put it into little sections because there's music to go with it. Like each time I tell a story, I have a song to sing that reminds me of that particular Mm-hmm. time in my life. And we're going to go through some of those. But will you sit, I can't imagine you sticking to Rob's script now as lovely as Rob is. Rob knows I won't. <laughs> he knows just... I won't because I've been, I have the script at home and I've been looking at the script and I keep bringing him saying, no, I want to put this bit in because this is the way I'd say that. And he's going, we'll talk on Thursday and Friday when we do the read through. <laughs> so the audience will be there and they'll be going for a show that's probably supposed to be about an hour and a half long and four hours later, there's Mary. Well, <laughs> You know, there'll be coffee and tea <laughs> and maybe a glass of wine. So listen, we're going to hear some of those tracks and, and get you to talk us through why yeah. they mean so much. So let's play the first one here. Everyone who sees you Always wants to know you And everyone who knows you Always has a smile You're a standing ovation Where does that take you? That kind of takes me to my daughter. Um, I mean, the story about her father and walking away from us and leaving the two of us thing. And I've, I always worried and always, I remember looking at her in my arms when she's only a baby and thinking, I'm sorry, you know, that is only me. You know, I know she had all my family around her, but as she grew up, she suffers from anxiety as well. So, but she's become this wonderful person who takes care of me. And she's become the mammy, you know, and when that song was given to me by Nigel Wright, who did the album, the only person that came into my head was, you know, she is a standing ovation. She has now come into her own. She's my baby and she's beautiful. And that song just sent me there. And every time I hear it, I think of her. You think of her, which is a really um, special part of your life, of course, because I know she's an an extension of you, isn't she? she? Now, here's the next one we wanted to play. Let's listen to this. You were always on my mind You were always on my mind Maybe I didn't hold you 
those lonely, lonely times And I guess I never told you I'm so happy that you're mine If I made you feel second best I'm so sorry I was blind You were always on my mind now, From the second we started to play that, the tears came. Mary, it's, what's going on? Look, when I was 17, I thought I was a big grown-up girl and I ran away from home and I didn't tell my parents... They didn't find out where I was for about a month. Um, I was living in a flat, you know, on my own and, and just having, thinking I was this wonderful person. And I broke their hearts. And I remember coming back, uh, it was probably in October, and my poor mother, she was so thin. She had these skinny little legs and she was holding this coat, a green gabardine that she probably paid a fortune for and couldn't afford it. And said, I bought you this for Christmas. And she was crying because... This was her first time to see me in six months. Mm -hmm. She knew I was safe after a month. But how could I have done that? I know I was young. I know when we're teenagers. That's what 17 year olds do. But we don't stop and think. And now when I think of the hurt I put her through. And she was a lonely woman in herself. She had her own issues. And I can see that loneliness in her eyes when that song comes on. And that's because that's the reason I sang that song. Was because it was the only way I could say in my heart... I should have done all these things and I didn't. And I was and always I was, thinking about and you. And I was always, they were always my heroes, my best friends, both of them, dad and mum, mm -hmm. you know, and, and they had their issues. My mother couldn't read or write. My father was the hardest working man. I, he, he cycled everywhere in the snow and the sleet. And, but we were provided for. My mother was crap with money. I mean, my if my mother had been good with money, we would have been very rich people. My dad handed over his wage pack and I walked out and left them. And now when I think back of it, it breaks my heart. Now, I did talk to them later on in life and ask them to forgive me. And all my father and mother said was, as long as you were safe, we know you're a little bit of a traveller. We know you're mad and you like to do all these things. And we love you just as long so as, as you long were as safe. So as long as you were safe and you were happy. That's all that mattered to them. They yeah. were happy. And that's what broke my heart, that they could forgive me so easily when I can't forgive myself. Mm. What was What's the song you love singing or when you do this show that you'll take great pleasure in singing? Is there any standout yes, for you? Yes, there is. It's the very first song that I sing as I enter onto the stage. And it's I Am What I Am. Because of what has happened in my life, my insecurities, my depression, everything... When I heard this song first, the first person I ever heard singing it was Shirley Bassey. Yeah. And I just, the lyrics just set in my head and I said, someday I'm going to be able to sing them and mean every word. So now I can do that. Now, because, yes, I still suffer with depression, but I also know my worth now. Sometimes it's hard to keep that worth there when you're feeling low, but I know it's there. Are you able to appreciate what you achieved? Do you know the funny thing is, this is what I was talking to the researcher about and I, she was, I was saying, look, you know, I've met Tom Jones, I've sang for the Queen, I've opened for Neil Diamond, I've met Michael Bublé, I sang on stage with jo Bon Jovi. I mean, for God's sake, look at the achievements a 50-year-old woman from Ballyferma has done 
in the last 14 years. Mm-hmm. I'm 64 now and I'm still achieving stuff. I'm still, I'm, I went for a cigarette with Paul O'Grady, Lord Mercy on him. We sat outside at the Pride of Britain Award having a fag and having a yap. I'd say you got on brilliantly with him, did you? He was just, he's like, <laughs> he was just like us. He was down to earth and he was just the best thing ever. So all those achievements, I have to keep reminding myself of them. I forgot all about them during COVID. I forgot all about them when I came out of the X Factor because I was in a whirlwind. Mm-hmm. But now when I think of them, they help me with my mental health. They help me to be positive and be strong and realise I am worthy of this. Now, I do get, the, you know, the imposter sim- syndrome where you think, you know, what are you doing on this stage acting and singing? You're just from Ballyferm. You worked in Tesco's. You worked in this place. You worked in that place. So, yeah, that comes in. But I think every person gets but that. But the show in itself surely will be a bit of a form of therapy for you as well. Because yes, you get to talk through those sadder moments. But you'll be reminded every night that you do this of going from the checkout till to where you yeah. finished up. Well, that's it. I mean, and it will be it will be therapy for me because I'll be talking about the hurt that I did to my parents and I'll be hopefully feeling better, even though I know they've forgiven me many, many moons ago. Plus the fact that I felt I had done my daughter wrong by not having a father there. Um, that'll be another therapy for me to talk through. You know, lots of different things that are going to be in. There's going to be laughter in it too. It's not going to be just sad. I mean... It wouldn't it, be it, a Mary Byrne show if there wasn't a bit of laughter. But it also wouldn't be Rob, you know, Rob Morphy writing down because some of the stuff he has me saying, I said, I'm not saying that. And he said, you are saying that. You are saying it this way and this is the way I want you to say it. So it, it will be fun and it will be filled with lots of emotions. Mm-hmm. And I just hope people come out and, and say it because the thing is, I'm so scared now, I can walk out on a stage and I can I can do a two hour show and I can tell stories to beat the band while I'm singing, but I'm singing. You know what I mean? So, so it's the, the talking bit that scares it's you. It's the talking bit. It's getting it. It's standing there with these people all expecting something. And I just hope I can deliver that to them out of my story and out of me. Trish is in bits, she says. Oh. Mary is incredible and teaching us all valuable uh, life lessons. Mary says she saw you in the panto last week and you were brilliant. Extraordinarily beautiful voice. Just so good on stage and so funny. Another listener says it's great to hear you. You're an incredible lady. You're a breath of fresh air with your openness and your honesty. We had a great time working on the Dublin Song Project together. This is from Claire, I can't wait to see the new show. So tell us about where the new show is and when people can see it and how they can get tickets. Okay, so we're in rehearsals at the moment and it comes out, it starts on the 29th of January. So a couple of weeks time. Yeah, and oh God, a couple of weeks time. (laughs) (laughs) 20 brandies before I go on stage. You have to do it now, there's no backing out. I have to do it. But it runs to the 3rd of February and it's in the Civic Centre in Talla, the the theatre in Talla. And you can get the tickets on Civic Centre you should bring it around the country, Mary. That is the plan. And that is what Donald wants to do. And Rob, they want to bring. As far as they're concerned, this is going to be, you know, a huge success. I just, it's just me having my, I have positive thoughts, but I also have the little voice inside and saying, oh my God, what if it fails? What if it does this? Yeah. What if it does that? Squash that voice down. Yes. You'll be fine. Yes. Listen, you mentioned the good knee and the bad knee at the beginning when you were talking about the panto. Yes. So where are you at with that now? Well, I've got the one knee done. The right knee is done. <clears throat> and I have to say, for me, it has worked out fantastic. Brilliant. The new knee, the next knee is the left knee and that has to be done within the next year and a half or year, if possible. 
but I need to be there. I need to have the knee done so I can go back and do my second do panto and Longford again with Tracy Paul and right. <laughs> Okay, so the knee will have to be done between now yes. and then. And you'll just have the small matter of doing the one woman show oh, God. around the country, we hope, in between. So the Civic Theatre from the 29th of this month until the 3rd of February. Mary, it's always lovely to have you in. Pleasure to Our be listeners here. love to hear you and so many of them are, are getting in touch with us to tell Thank us just that. Much. Mary Byrne on Today with Claire Byrne. Ever wonder what's happening in your body when you bruise and when should you worry about unexplained bruises? Well, Claire Byrne was joined by Claire-based GP, Dr. Maura Finn, to find out. Good morning and Happy New Year to you. And same to you. So let's talk about bruises. Uh, What is going on when a bruise happens? Okay, in its simplest form, what happens is the trauma usually causes the blood vessel to um, start to bleed and the blood then soaks under the skin. So you see a visible bleed under the skin. So the blood vessel is damaged. And in time, what normally happens that your body resorbs that blood and it goes for those lovely kaleidoscope of colours from kind of red to black to purple to green to yellow. And it fades usually in the space of about two weeks, maybe less sometimes. Um, and it, normally, like you just said, it's very, very innocent and there's a, a known cause for it. Mm-hmm. And when, as a, a GP, do you start to worry about bruising that you might see? Well, when, you know, so we assume there's a known cause for most of them. If there isn't, if for some reason bruising has happened with a minimal cause, like a very, very minor trauma and has caused a large bruise, much bigger than you would expect. If it takes a lot of time to fade for some reason, if it's an unusual place, you know, a place that you may not kind of hit easily, if you're getting a cluster of bruises or if it's associated with any illness, if you if you're sick at the time, because there can be issue in things like petechia or purpura, which are kind of very tiny little bruises, the little blood vessels that burst under the skin that can be associated with some serious infections and even sepsis. So we, we do like we worry in those situations. Most often it's people themselves like might have come in because they've kind of had a bruise that's just not resolving. And frequently we go through kind of a realm of investigations for them, make sure that there isn't any other cause. And frequently it's something fairly innocent. But it's important to know if you can't explain something, then we need to kind of investigate it a bit deeper. Okay, and if as we get older, we experience more bruising, is that right? That's true. And that's true for a number of reasons. One is that our blood vessels are a little bit more fragile and our skin is thinner. So it's easier to see bruises. So very minor trauma as you age can actually cause bruising. Also, people as they get older are often on medication and there's lots and lots of different medication that can lead to bruising. Um, there's medication that's designed to make, not to make you bruise, but to make you, to interfere with your clotting process, like blood thinners. And people will be on those if they've had a heart attack or a stroke in the past, or if they've had a clot in their leg or their lungs. So a lot of people are on prescribed medication that will make them bruise easily. But even innocent medication that people take over the counter can do the same, like aspirin. It is a blood thinner and um, ibuprofen or naproxen. These are medications that you can buy over the counter for kind of simple cold or flu. And they can actually cause you to, they thin your blood and cause you to bruise as well. So it's important to kind of keep that in, in, you know, keep it in mind. Mm -hmm. If you are bruising a lot, is it something that you're taking maybe a little bit more frequently than you should? Are there some people who just bruise easily? There are because... They may well. I mean, there could be a genetic issue there, but frequently it's because there is there, there are kind of disorders. So people might know about haemophilia, for instance. But the most common one in Ireland is one called von Willebrand syndrome, uh, and that is really 
where you have there's proteins that help make your blood clot and they're not being made properly. And it's usually diagnosed because there's a genetic kind of, you know, you might have a father or mother who has this condition and the child then will investigate them. Um, and they're just given certain medication to kind of help um, increase the protein so that they, they clot more efficiently. Then there's also things like um, liver disease. End stage liver disease can kind of interfere with these clot and these proteins that make you clot as well. Um, and that can cause uh, you to bruise more easily. And there can be lots of other conditions as well, um, mm. bleeding disorders, you know, um, and in, in like people are often very worried about kind of leukemias and blood cancers and they can cause bruising as because what happens in those is they have a, you have an increased amount of immature cells and the, the factors that help you clot aren't being made properly. But that thankfully is an unusual cause of it. Let's take some listener questions now. And this listener took a tumble out of my bed, they say, on Tuesday morning and I banged my head against the bedside locker. A golf ball sized lump appeared, which has reduced. This sounds painful. I now mm. have a, a shiner of a black eye and I'm just wondering, is there anything to speed up uh, the clearing of the bruise? And they go on to say, as it's close to my eye, I'm not sure if creams will help or can be used. Oh yeah, well, and probably what that listener is talking about is arnica, which is something that's used as a herbal type treatment that is often used to reduce swelling, but it has to be used on skin, not orally, and not on any broken skin or near the eye. So I would be careful about that. Very frequently what you're doing is you're putting something cold on it to reduce. So cold reduces swelling. So what's happened there with the golf ball size swelling is that um, there's kind of not just blood, but also fluid to help um, your body heal has kind of accumulated there and something cold will actually reduce the swelling. Time will actually probably improve this more than anything. We worry about shiners or black eyes if you don't have an obvious explanation. If there was a very serious illness, injury like a car accident or something, if both eyes are affected, if there's any blood from the nose or the ears or anything like that, or if your vision has been affected in some way. If that person is kind of comfortable in other ways and can see that this is improving, I wouldn't be too concerned and give it about two or three weeks and it should be gone. All right. Unfortunately, you'll have to sit out the bruising on the face. <laughs> I'm afraid so. Um, this listener says, I'm a 66-year-old woman. I've always bruised easily. I have late onset asthma. I take a steroid inhaler and an allergy tablet daily. In the last number of years, spontaneous bruising has appeared on the hands and the arms. And in the last month, the top third of my index finger on my left hand is bruised dark purple. Sometimes it fades to white and at times there is a little pain, but not enough to take pain relief. I also feel a loss of sensation from time to time and the finger feels colder than the other fingers. What do you say to that? Maura. Okay, and if it's only one finger, that probably should be looked at. But there is a very innocent condition called Achenbach syndrome, which is just where you get these. I'm sure a lot of people will know it. Like you might have just stretched your hand a little bit and you'll get a little blood vessel that will burst underneath, you know, the the pad of your finger and it will resolve in time. And it's an innocent condition. It isn't anything to worry about. But you can have these little um, spontaneous hemorrhages from a vasculitis, which could be an autoimmune condition. You can also have a thing called Raynaud syndrome. When, when that person describes it as being kind of going black and white, um, that can be that the blood flow becomes very constricted at times and it becomes white. And then you have the blood flow comes back into the finger and it's at force and it can actually be uncomfortable. Um, I would suggest that she actually just investigate that. It's probably harmless, but it would be worth looking at it. Steroids 
can increase um, bruising as well. But she's on a steroid inhaler, which is really just in the lungs, which shouldn't be the cause of it. But it would be worth kind of investigating that. Okay, go and see the GP in the first instance there. Um, This listener is 35 years old and six months postpartum. I recently discovered a golf ball sized bruise on the outside of my left lower calf. I didn't hit it. It's not sore to the touch. At a similar time, I got plantar fasciitis on my right foot and she wants to know, could they be linked? And should she get bloods done or go to the GP? Okay, that's interesting. Now, they could be linked, number one. Um, You know, so plantar fasciitis is the kind of the tissue on the sole of your foot being inflamed and uncomfortable. And if she's got a pain or something un, unusual on her calf, that's connected from the Achilles tendon down to the foot. So that could be connected. The other thing that's interesting, she's postpartum. So she is, even though it's six months, but she is still at risk of clots. So a deep vein thrombosis, which can cause swelling and hardness in your calf. And that's where you have it. It's not a bruise, but you have kind of um, something that blocks the blood flow in the deeper tissues of your calf. And that's an important thing to check out. Now, you wouldn't normally see a bruise on the skin. It's, there isn't a visible bruise with that. But just because she's postpartum, because she has this associated pain, I think she should actually attend her GP. Um, she may need what's called a venogram where you look at the blood flow through the leg and maybe look to make sure that um, she's not taking any other medication that could be actually affecting this. Okay, so go and get that checked out is the advice there. Dr Maura Finn on Today with Claire Byrne. Well, that's all we have time for on this edition of Playback Daily. But as always, if you'd like to listen back to any of your favourite shows across Radio 1, you can do that on rte.ie slash radio. So from me, Louise Herity, thanks for listening and take care. (laughs) 